podcast intent for information on educational purposes only, not for the purpose of rendering medical advice. As always, information should be pulled from multiple credible sources. Cross reference wormlet your almost accurate hypothesis. Evans can support always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any question regarding a medical condition. <gasps> this is the actual PT podcast, where actual problems meet actual evidence, producing actual results. And your hosts, Troy Lind and Taylor Flocken. Heidi Ho, actual PT Actual PT Nation. Nation. Wish we had a guy working on the back end that could make us sound cooler. Someone named Mohammed or something. That'd be cool. It would be cool, but, um, you know, I, I, I do a good job. I do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you're patting yourself on the back. <laughs> good Lord. Um... Well, we're falling off the rails as always, but we're here approximately three minutes after the last episode. <laughs> Hammering them out. Hammering out content. Yes, content, yeah. baby, content. Um, and we referenced in the previous episode, if you were listening to any of it, probably weren't. That's fine. If you were listening to it, we had referenced how we were going to talk about frozen shoulder. What's the other name for that, Taylor? Uh, 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 iceberg lettuce or what is it? Adhesive capsulitis. That's what I meant, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was close. The infamous yeah. adhesive. The infa- infamous, yes. The infamous adhesive yeah. capsulitis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we, yeah, we had referenced this in unison with it occurring oftentimes after surgery or trauma, um, can you kind of tell us what it is, and most importantly, who it is affecting, Taylor or Falcon? All right, no, absolutely. So uh, the frozen shoulder, raw or, apples. Ad, well, that that <laughs> joke doesn't make sense. Well, if someone just started this <laughs> episode because they want about, I think, think we will be stuck on this for the next week. Continue. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So adhesive capsulitis. Well. It kind of follows what the name is. So every joint in our body, uh, just a little anatomy lesson, um, has a little bit of a joint capsule. Um, this essentially it just kind of surrounds it, helps uh, to provide it, hold in all the nutrients, all the stuff that helps it slide Synobial real easy. fluids. Yeah, fluids um, that help it just sl- everything just slide and glide nice and easy. Well, the shoulder is a unique joint, as we have talked about in previous episodes. It's very um, loose. It's very, uh, it's naturally unstable compared to most of the other joints. Which it has to for the range of motion we put it through. Mm-hmm. A- exactly, exactly. Well, the shoulder, for reasons that aren't necessarily most understood yet, um, that capsule can fold in on itself. And then because of an inflammatory process, it sticks to itself and it can then take a very long time for it to become unstuck. And it adheres to itself. It adheres, which is uh, the adhesive Adhesive part part of of the the capsulitis. Yeah. 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 And this is what we call a self-limiting condition, which is a good thing. Um, Basically, it means that it will start on its own and it will end on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, And... The bad news about it, though, is it takes a really long time. It can take an upwards of six months to two years to fully yep. resolve, yep. Um, which is always kind of a difficult conversation to have with people whenever mm-hmm. you think that's what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so in terms of who, like who does it involve? The who, uh, the who's of the world, the who, the owls of the world. The most common age range, uh, we're looking at uh, forty to sixty years of age, mm-hmm. um, and also women are affected uh, significantly more than men. I, I forget the exact numbers, um, but I don't think I ever knew them. Mm, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what kind of females, Tyler? The who's. Hmm. Uh, middle-aged. Middle-aged. Caucasian. 40 to 60. Caucasian and oh, Asian females. Oh, oh is Caucasian and Asian? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh. Caucasian, Asian, petite, mm. skinny, um, above middle-aged females. Sounds like osteoporosis. I know. It sounds almost like yeah. we're... They just, get, they just get the raw end of the stick, you know? But um, adhesive capsulitis does have an extra, um, I guess, like demographic um, with it, and that is diabetics. Yes. Mm-hmm. See, and I always forget that one for some reason. Yeah, and I believe more type 2 than type 1, but I don't know if they've actually differentiated. Yeah, I don't think it's a worth enough to them. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, but, yeah, diabetes also uh, plays a role in this. Um, I think that just... Just because, I mean, diabetics typically have slower healing times. Um, they typically stay inflamed longer. Yeah. I, I think that's part of the reason. Because this is, at the end of the day, it's an inflammation process. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, I think that's kind of like a good little intro. Why don't you uh, talk to us a little bit about the stages? The stages. Yeah. Why don't you just yeah. go ahead and get up on stage and yeah. tell us about the stages. Let's stand on top of stages. And talk about stages. And then discuss stages. Yes. <laughs> um, so there's three main stages. As uh, Tyler alluded to, these are usually self-limiting. So this is the usual course that it goes through. This is, you know, this is not everybody. And, and the length of time is, you'll see how long it is based off because it's just, everyone's different. It just kind of comes mm-hmm. and goes. But you have three stages, the freezing stage, the frozen stage, and the thawing stage. So the freezing stage is usually the most painful. Usually you have a, uh, a loss of range of motion and function is occurring. Um, and this usually occurs between three to nine months. So this is usually a lot of times when we will uh, see the patients. So we'll see them coming in and there's because it's painful. That's usually why they're coming yeah. in to see us. As we said earlier, 90% of everyone we see is in pain. Um, so they're going to be coming to us cause they're like, ah, it's killing me. And I just, I can't lift it overhead like I used to, or I can't mm-hmm. reach into the top shelf or you name it. I can't uh, comb my hair, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, and then after three to nine months, they'll kind of hopefully progress into the frozen stage, which lasts four to 12 months, depending on the individual. This frozen stage is mostly, um, identified by pain that starts to improve ahead of range of motion. So mm-hmm. the first stage, the freezing stage, are very, very painful. You're having the most pain and you have a drastic loss in range of motion. And then now that as you move into the frozen stage, it's it essentially feels like it's not getting any worse because the pain is starting to come off. Uh, the range of motion is still pretty stuck for another four to 12 months. Um, mm-hmm. And you're just not really progressing uh, functionally, but the pain feels better. So at least a lot of people say it's a lot more tolerable in this stage because it hurts less, but you can't do anything more with the shoulder. And then the thawing stage, which is 12 to 42 months out of onset. um, Yeah. It has a very slow return of range of motion. So um, 
Yeah, it's just as exactly as it sounds. It start that capsule starts to slowly unadhere to itself, and it starts to slowly get range motion back. Um, and like we just said, forty two months possible. Oh goodness, that is just painful. Um, yeah, and it and it's you know you're not having a lot of pain in this stage because you're you know you've usually been going to therapy for a while. You're right. usually used to your stretches, so it's not really painful. But this is when you start to actually feel good again because you can mm. watch those numbers you can watch the range mm. slowly increase and i've had the pleasure of watching uh one patient in particular uh she was i caught her just at the end of the frozen stage and move into thawing stage so i was able to watch that range of motion kind nice. of slowly increase yeah i got lucky mm. and i didn't see her in the painful spot <laughs> <laughs> the several months of pain <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> i saw her after the pain had subsided and she was starting to slowly get her range of motion back which was fantastic it's the best part to be in <laughs> uh, yeah yeah and they took all the credit for i that took too. all the credit like, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's because yeah. i'm so good <laughs> yeah um in terms of like uh diagnosis for this um I think looking at the range of motion is, I think, one of the biggest things because unlike with like a rotator cuff or labral uh, or even like, yeah, labral pathology, the active range of motion, meaning the, the amount that person have has, that will be equivalent to the uh, passive range of motion. Yeah, you know, they'll, they'll be equal. It doesn't matter if the therapist is moving your arm or if you're moving your arm. And yeah. I mean, granted, sometimes the passive is um, a little bit lower even, or no, the active is a little bit lower even just because of pain. pain yeah. yeah. But... Um, self-limiting. Y- yes, self-limiting. The And then, like, there is a typical uh, pattern with it. I believe it's uh, external rotation of the shoulders more limited than internal, which is more limited than abduction. Yep, so it goes, yep, so as you lose, so what he's saying is the range of motion that you will be losing, the pattern it usually occurs in is external rotation is the most limited, mm-hmm. so you will lose the most external rotation. Then it's abduction, and last is internal. Oh, I had those flipped. Well, it's, I mean, yeah, external rotation is greater than abduction. Abduction is greater than internal rotation. So it goes external rotation, abduction, primarily those two. Mm-hmm. And then then eventually, depending on the degree or severity of the frozen shoulder, you'll have a loss of internal rotation. But those are the biggest two to look out for, abduction and external rotation. Yeah. And as Taylor said, uh, a lot of this can just be seen by range of motion. Have somebody lift your arm as high as it goes, and then yeah. you lift your arm as high as it goes. Mm-hmm. As long as they're relatively the same, then that's basically guaranteed that you're looking at a almost guaranteed you're looking at a frozen shoulder. Obviously, it could be other things like bony yeah. abnormalities or something like that. But yeah, and if, if it's still, you know, they didn't wait, you know, like two three months to come see you, and they hadn't been using their arm. Also, strength. So long as they're able to push through the pain, mm-hmm. um, strength won't be affected at this point. Um, uh, strength, however, does end up kind of just becoming like secondarily affected just because, well, it hurts so much. And a big part of trying to get out of that freezing stage is to try and cut down on aggravating activities. Mm -hmm. It's an inflammatory process. You do not want to continue uh, poking the bear. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like what we referenced to for the rotator cuff. Yeah. Like if you're pushing into pain. It's hurting with everything you do. Not only are you preventing the healing, mm-hmm. you're preventing the tissue to be rebuilt. But yeah, you're just keeping it in that itis, that inflammatory process, that aggravating mm-hmm. process, and you'll it'll just take longer to get to move to progress into the frozen and thawing phases. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is uh, this is just kind of a clinical pearl. I mean, I I don't have any research on this. I 
don't know that any research has been done on it, but um, you don't know then. But clinically, like talking with other <laughs> therapists, um, it's I, th- I think something that can be helpful to tell patients is that the length of time a person is spent in the freezing space. Uh, stage is about how long they're going to be in the thawing stage approximately oh never uh, heard that one yeah i mean it, it's anecdotal but i think it helps to prepare patients for it because this is a, this is a long-term thing and as a therapist whenever you know you're like oh, i think this is a frozen shoulder it you you just know you're gonna be in the long haul with someone uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah that's just i mean to tell somebody that <clears throat> that they may might have limited function of their shoulder for mm-hmm. and may be it possibly their dominant shoulder mm-hmm. for t- for t- uh, 42 months possibly <sighs> i mean that's that's a that's a tough conversation to that, have with anybody that's a tough pill to swallow yeah. yeah um especially if they're like you know they use it in any form for recreation or or work. their or or work yeah. or um e- even out here i i had uh, one patient who ended up with a frozen shoulder they uh live alone and survival in winter out here is it's tough already (laughs) it is a very very difficult winter out here and having the conversation of you're not really gonna be able to use your arm for the entirety of it i mean you know a person suddenly became very worried with things like oh what about firewood what about these things i use to literally survive yeah um how am i going to accomplish some of these things so it can be a it can definitely be an emotional conversation whenever it comes up yeah, roller coaster, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we we talked about it earlier in terms of what causes it. Yeah, what we typically there is some type of trauma, but yeah. that's that's not guaranteed. Yeah, the one um, <clears throat> the one patient I saw there was spontaneous. There was no trauma. Mm-hmm. It just came on out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they thought there might. Uh, they were thinking at first rotator cuff because it kind of shows like that. But then, yeah, quickly showed itself as adhesive capsulitis. But then another one I saw was yeah, it was right. It was post surgical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they just that's that's another reason we wanted to bring up this topic in kind of in unison with our previous episode because if as we were talking, you know, sometimes people don't or they'll just stop going to therapy. Sometimes I've seen mm-hmm. that where they'll yeah. for rotator cuff, they'll get a repair and then it just starts feeling good enough and they just stop going. Yeah. But they're still kind of not quite back functionally where they mm-hmm. need to be. So they, they limit the use of that shoulder as compared to what they were doing mm-hmm. at their prior level. Yeah. And then you that's when usually you see it because they're still in that window where it's still a trauma to the body Mm -hmm. and then they quit moving the shoulder like they should be, or like they were at the very least. Yeah. And then that's when you're really susceptible to the, the frozen, the frozens of the shoulders, the frozens of the shoulders for sure. And for those of you out there who have not had a shoulder surgery, getting the range of motion back for many people is the worst, most painful part of it. And making yourself go into it daily, go into essentially discomfort daily it's it's tough um and if the and so you know if a person stops going to therapy you know if you don't have someone kind of pushing you telling you you need to do this this is what's going to give you the most function back the quickest possible it's it yeah it's tough to do it on your own it's tough and it's good to note to use the golden window to your advantage mm-hmm. and i have i feel like the golden window what do you think about it in the shoulder? I know like for the knee and hip, for instance, like for like, um, mm-hmm. the, 
for like replacements. Mm. I feel like I've seen the most benefit with that two two week window, but I feel like the shoulder is just a long haul. The shoulder is. Um, I I think kind of like the uh, the gold. I don't know. I don't know. Gold standard is the right word, but I think the thing that's most accepted about ten weeks. Some people might say twelve weeks. Uh, but the thing to consider with like a major rotator cuff repair, uh, persons, they're not going to be allowed to move that thing at all for three to six weeks, depending mm-hmm. on who's your surgeon and the degree of, uh, or the nature of your surgery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The quality of the tissue, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's just a lot of things that kind of put you at risk in those windows. Yeah. And the golden window we were talking about is just, uh, the window and time that usually your muscles are most pliable. Taking right. the easiest to get range of motion back before they kind of before, before the scar tissue. scar tissue gets yeah. laid down, you're able to kind of regain a lot of range of motion. Usually, really early on following the surgery. So, mm-hmm. like for knees and hips, a lot of it's two weeks, for instance. Like that's yeah. when you're really able. You want to get as much range of sure. motion back right away because once scar tissue lays down, it's t- it's tough. It's a slow process from there. Yeah, it's not impossible. Um, no, not by any means. No, um, stuff. No, definitely is painful. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll kind of maybe, uh, switch gears and talk about treatment. I'd like for you to talk about treatment. What do you think about that? About doing that next? I think I feel good about that. I feel good about that. Okay. Okay. So in terms of like uh, PT, like in the initial stages, like our biggest goal is to try and calm down the inflammation. We are, and we're trying to just maintain the range of motion that we have. So passive range is going to be kind of name of the game. And I think really good communication between the therapist and the patient is going to be necessary because as we alluded to earlier, we do not want to continue just pouring gasoline onto this Mm -hmm. thing. We are not looking to stretch you out and try to build it back up because chances are you won't be able to move your arm for a couple of days because it'll hurt so bad. Mm -hmm. And the pain. Yeah. Navigating the pain in the early stages is huge because yeah. like you said, the more pain they're in, the less they're going to do, the more you're just mm-hmm. beating your head against the wall. But if you're able to get it to calm down, decrease the pain, mm-hmm. decrease the inflammation, maintain what range of motion you do have, yeah. limit the loss, mm-hmm. you're setting your up, yourself up success, for success in the back end during thawing. Absolutely. And this is a uh, kind of just like, guess like a little side note um if a person comes in and they with a frozen shoulder it's it's confirmed it's what they have and they have like a lot of stuff or stress anxiety depression any of that going on in their life um it's pretty necessary for us to uh, give a referral out um for those people just because this is an inflammatory process stress anxiety all those things if if that's not managed that can draw this thing out Mm -hmm. um so kind of taking care of the mental health component it's you know i I don't have any research on that or anything but i don't know i don't know (laughs) i don't know but i think that not only will it help the person uh you know, better cope with some of the mm. stresses of life, but yeah. it'll also help get this thing pushed along a little quicker. Yeah. Especially for how long, like we've said a million times, how mm-hmm. long of a process this is to have those things in check yeah. and on your side, working with you rather than against you is huge. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um, we'll uh, probably have uh, patients uh, make use of several stretches at home, not looking to push into pain, as we said earlier. Uh, also probably make use of the pulleys a little bit. 
Oh yeah, we we mm. go to town on some pulleys with these. Oh for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have, have the broomsticks, overhead oh. broomsticks, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but for those of you who don't uh, know what the pulleys are, it kind of like hangs on the back it's of a, a door frame, and it's it's literally a pulley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, with well. handles. With with handles so that one arm can pull. actively pull up the other arm while the other arms he's just along for the ride. He's going along for the ride, Gee, yeah, Chuck. yeah. He, he's just hanging out. He's hanging out, Chuck. Some other things. Um, I know uh, ultrasound's been kind of talked about for this one. It, the evidence it's very wish washy, mm-hmm. and there was even one study that found it actually hurt uh, or made the problem worse. Oh, interesting. Uh, exacerbated the frozen shoulder and. I, I think part of that, you know, especially like uh, thermal ultrasound. I mean, you're throwing heat onto on an, infl- an itis. On, onto something that's inflamed or it's an inflammatory process. Which it is borderline contraindicated. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's just like why you really you wouldn't want to put heat on the initial freezing stages as well. Um, I mean, it might feel good, but it could potentially exactly. <clears throat> um. Once you kind of get out of that really super painful uh, phase, you know, it's kind of interesting because you can really kind of crank on um, the arm a little bit and patient can tolerate it. I was going to say, yeah, the one uh, woman I worked with, she just, I was sweating working on that (laughs) thing and she was just laying, she almost fell asleep. I'm like, what's going on here? I'm like yeah. laying, I'm like, bo- I'm like body slamming this arm and she's just like asleep. <laughs> yeah. Like what's going on? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, t- in order to uh, kind of work through that, uh, scar tissue, kind of mm-hmm. what you need to do. Also, uh, low load, long duration stretches can oh, be your LPPS? friend. Yes. Yes. Yep. Those can, uh, be your friends, uh, essentially just holding a weight, uh, in a stretch position and just. I don't know. Find find something to distract yourself a little bit, whether it's TV, music, um, meditate. I don't know. Yeah, raw fruits. Yeah, um, yeah, whatever you want to do to distract yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's a good. That's honestly the best form of stretching, uh, as pointed to by evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, spe- especially, especially leading to sarcomerogenesis. Oh yeah, sarcomerogenesis, and not only that, but yeah. breaking down some of the collagen or what is it? Collagen or hydrogen bonds in the scar tissue? Ooh, you're the only hydrogen. For creep. Mm, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, yes. Creep and hysteresis, yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I guess, like uh, medically, because this patient will probably also be being seen either by an orthopedic or mm-hmm. their primary care. Uh, something else that evidence has shown that can also be very helpful is a cortisone steroid injection. I was about to say injections, yeah. Yeah. Um, the I think the way I like to view those or the way I like to um, I don't know talk about those with patients is those injections if they do work and you know they give pain relief it creates a window it creates a window for the patient to be able to get um, a huge gains in range of motion with far less pain mm-hmm. so you know essentially while the um, pain reduction is in effect I say get after it as best as you can. And this is in what stage do they normally do it in? I believe they'll normally do it um, in the freezing stage. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah. That's um, what I was going to say. I, from what I remember, it was fairly early on in the process. Because like, she had gotten it before I had seen her. And, and I mean, honestly, that's where you would want it. Um, because yeah, if because there's pain and mm-hmm. yeah, it's like starting yeah. to... Exactly. Adhe- 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 become adhesive. Adhe- 
Adhere. Adhere. That's is going to adhere. That is the, uh, I guess, the present. (laughs) I'm I'm currently right here, yeah. Yeah, very true. I'm present. Yeah, Yeah, um, so, you know, and I I don't know that I've seen a study looking at, you know, comparing it with, uh, with exercises versus just telling a patient to just, I don't know, live life after getting the injection, but it, I, I think just like clinically, it makes the most sense to also be trying to stretch this thing out, trying to get as much back as you can. Yeah, I think, didn't our professor bring up a study once, just kind of off the cuff, and there wasn't a huge difference between the two oh, with really? regards to time. Oh, okay. But I think like satisfaction or uh, return patient. of function, patient uh, happiness, like outcomes in that, yeah. that side of things were far greater. So I think it's kind of, from what I remember, it's just going to run its course. Yeah, I don't think we can really change that, yeah. but we can change uh, the return of function once yeah. once that range of motion starts to come back. We can kind of we we just speed up the mm-hmm. process of getting you back to your baseline or your prior level of function. Exactly, and among that, you know, the adhesive capsulitis itself does not cause uh, muscular atrophy. It's more just that it's just disuse. You're just not using that thing. And so I think also a return of strength. And then as we were talking about in the last episode, scapular stabilization, make sure those guys are behaving themselves with all movements of the shoulder because chances are that it's going to be a little bit wonky for a minute. And it's another important thing to know. It can happen again. Mm-hmm. It's Yes, I, it can. That person, patient I was working with, it was her second one. Mm-hmm. So she was like, that's probably another reason she was just, she was letting me just crank on it. But yeah, she was her, it wasn't her first rodeo, but uh, yeah. yeah, it can happen again. And imagine someone that doesn't go to physical therapy at all through the entire process. Yeah. They're not going to know, you know, not going to know all these signs and like, mm-hmm. it's just when it's, it happens all over again, they're going to be even more frustrated or if it happens again. No, for sure. They'd be drastically more frustrated then. Mm-hmm. If you had already gone through the process and had let someone coach you through, I was just curious because I don't remember off the top of my head. How often do you, does the PCP or the ortho check in on them through this process? Wasn't it like every it's, month or something? Or I, I, I mean, if you, just, if you remembered off the top of your head, I don't really remember. I know it's in, different for everybody, but in my experience, mm, yeah, yeah, like once every, I think probably once every like couple months, like once every no, two months, if if not three months. I mean, this is. This is a long-term thing, and you know, once they've confirmed, usually using some sort of imaging MRI, for instance, uh, make sure okay, rotator cuff's intact, okay, labrum's intact. Um, looks like all ligaments are there. This thing's just stuck. Yeah, yeah. from what I remember, it was yeah, it's kind of like okay, they helped identify it with imaging, mm-hmm. and then they kind of set up possible injection. Mm-hmm. Um, with her, she got injection. So they had set up injection right there. And then yeah. I think they said, see you back here in four months or something like that, or six months or something like, mm-hmm. we'll see you when you're drastically in a different spot and just see if there's anything like if it would need a manip X amount Ew. of months out, you know, usually they let yeah. it run its course. Obviously they're usually pretty yeah. good about that, but I think they kind of have a, some orthos have like a window. They like to see it back from, which you really shouldn't do because everyone's different, but yeah, I remember one one doc said uh, if it's not back within a year, he likes to start talking about manip, and sometimes it could take two years. Yeah, yeah, it, and obviously so, that's frustrating, man. It's hard to have that for t- t- two years. I think I'd be contemplating manip myself, but uh, the manipulation uh, under anesthesia is what we're talking about, by the way. Yeah, well, um, the procedure itself, honestly. 
probably less than five minutes once you're out. Yeah. They they literally they move your arm. They tear through all of the scar yes. tissue. And they um, just rip it. They get to rip it in the tear. Yeah, the, yeah. They uh, they do that, and uh, you get out, and your uh, your shoulder is really sore, but uh, you have the range you of have motion. The range of motion back and you tore that you you un adhered the capsule. You just tore right through it. And then it's going, and honestly, that's kind of the easy part. The the rough part to the manip is going to be in the following uh, couple of weeks because he the doc created a window and you are going to be expected to Keep it. exactly you're going to be expected to take your arm through all the different ranges and eh, it's going to suck. Yeah, and I don't have any. I guess we probably should have uh, looked up some information on that outcomes mm-hmm. with regards to. Manipulation mm-hmm. or anesthesia for for adhesive capsulitis. I feel like that'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, and I, I believe surgically, like that's the only real option for this thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think they're able to cut the oh, are they capsule? But I, I I don't know anyone that does it. Never heard of, never seen anyone that do it. But. I could only imagine them even considering that if the person has had had it for two years and they still had extreme yeah, yeah, yeah. extreme or, range of motion. Yeah, deficits. or they tried the uh, manip. Under anesthesia, and maybe it just froze back up or something. Well, and and that's the risk of it. That's the risk yeah. of the manip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, it's another trauma. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And oh, I did think of another uh, demographic thing too. Um, I'd like to hear it. Yeah, like to hear it right uh, gen- now. there is a uh, seems to be a genetic component, so it can mm-hmm. run in your family. Oh, don't remember that one either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean. Probably look more at the women in your family because it's going to affect women more often. But um, which I guess coincides with uh, a lot of the other things we talk about: diabetes, osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are things genetic components to them. Yeah, yeah, oh, interesting. And usually, people at this point, I mean, we've already talked about things that increase inflammatory factors in the body: smoking, drinking, diet. Mm-hmm. I mean, diabetes type two specifically is heavily dependent on these things. Yeah, osteoporosis. Heavily dependent on these things. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like it all kind of makes sense to yeah uh, with one another. Yeah, just uh, gotta play the uh, gotta play the hand you're dealt the best you can. Um, yeah. And there are for some people, uh, this is going to be something that they're just going to be naturally more prone to. And if they throw in some more of those inflammatory factors, stress, and you know, just a little bit, of, eh, just have a little trauma here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, uh, I don't think I have anything else to add at all to this conversation. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I do either. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we. Uh, I think we're almost at the end. I think uh, Troy uh, should start telling people something about something. Well, th- no, no, a specific group of people. I think personally, I personally believe that people out there. Hmm that identify themselves as actual PT nationers should always stay certain ways. And sometimes that can be classy. Mostly classy. Mostly classy. Preferred. It's always stay classy, uh, actual PT nation, yeah. Isn't that what you said? Shorthand. (laughs) I even have a shorthand. (laughs) 